exciting to have him here. Morning. It's my pleasure, really, to be here with you guys today. Um, I know it's under strange circumstances, but we rest in God's sovereignty and celebrate that Pastor Larry will be discharged tomorrow. Uh, if you don't know, um, I guess I'll start with this. I learned from Pastor Larry through the years that I sat under his teaching that the power of God is in the Word of God. It's not in the clever speech or cunning of man, it's in the word of God. And as we read in Romans 1.16, where it says the power of God is the gospel for salvation unto all who would believe. And um, man, that came true for me right back there 11 years ago when Jesus Christ saved me out of my sin and God adopted me as his child. I was baptized 11 years ago at Bristol Road. It was great to be back there today. And... Um, Andy, if I remember something you told me a lot of years ago when you said you started coming to this church and one thing that you loved, and I noticed your tattered Bibles on the table is that Pastor Larry actually made you open the word. And you had mentioned that, uh, that the divine appointment would happen when it was supposed to happen and that happened to you. Uh, but I appreciate that you said that. He made you open your Bibles and I'm just so thankful. Um, and I realize now, 11 years later, the importance of relying on the word of God. And the faithful witness of his family as well. Um, in God's providence, he would have it that I would marry Julie. Uh, I'd like to say happily married for almost 10 years now. And it's just been a, a great walk with the Lord. And I'm happy to be back here today. My hope today is that the word of God, as we read through it, would dwell in us richly. That it would spur us on to good works. And that ultimately... It would encourage you in the Lord and bring glory to him. Now today, what we're going to look at, take a systematic look at what it looks like to wear the armor of light, to put on, as the apostle says, apostle Paul says, the new self, to put on the new self, to put on Christ. And that's going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4, we're going to be resting a lot in verses 17 through 24 today. But what I hope we see really today is that the, what the value, the value that there is in using the Bible to interpret the Bible, to stay in God's word when you have questions about God's word. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and everything that we need for life and godliness can be found in the very words that he breathed out. So Ephesians 4.24 says, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And I'd like to pray very, very shortly before we jump in, okay? Father God, I give you glory today. We give you glory. What a joy it is to sing with your people. Just celebrate for salvation, celebrate for Christ and new life in him. And I pray, God, that today what we know not, you would teach us. What we are not, oh Lord, you would make us. And what we have not, God, that you would give us all for the glory of your son. 
And it's his, in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so Ephesians 4.24 obviously follows the first three chapters of Ephesians that contain really some of the most profound and amazing words in all of Scripture. I'm going to run through some of those words here, chapters 1 through 3. We learn that believers are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That believers have been chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before God in Christ. That the mystery of God's will has been revealed in Jesus Christ to redeem the believer. That's what my shirt says, Ephesians 1, 7. To forgive their trespasses, lavish upon them the riches of his grace and unite all things to him. That Jesus is far above all rule and authority as he sits at the right hand of God and his head over all things to the church. Chapter 2, that we have been saved by grace through faith so that Christ is our boast. That we've been created in Christ for good works that God prepared for us from before the foundation in the world. That we would walk in them. That Christ is the cornerstone of the church with the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets and that believers are now no longer aliens but now are members of this body that is being joined together into a holy temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. That through this temple, this church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that the gospel would be proclaimed throughout the earth so that people would know the surpassing love of Christ. In the last two verses of Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now Paul spends the next three chapters of Ephesians telling believers how they should respond to the truths that I just read. The glorious truths that I just read. What should our response be to those? And that's where we jump into our text today. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So today I want to hone in on what it means to put on the new self. You'll notice, reading through the New Testament, that Paul, he often instructs the saints to cast off or to put off the old. And as we read from him, negative commands usually aren't enough. So he doesn't just say, don't do this, stop doing that, move away from this. He pairs the negative command with a positive exhortation. So don't do this, but do this. Stop doing that, do this instead. Take your eyes off this and put them on this. Cast this off, put this on. And appropriately, we're simply not saved from God's wrath. We're not simply saved from hell, from eternal torment, from darkness, from bondage to sin, 
from unrighteousness, from futility of the mind, and so on. We are delivered from those things. We are delivered from the power of sin to be slaves of righteousness. The great Puritan Matthew Henry says it's simply not enough to cease to do evil. We must learn to do well. In other words, the transformation when we are raised from death to life should be noticeable both in word and deed. So as we can expect, rather than simply commending believers to cast off, to put off the old, he tells us what to put on. I'll go through some examples of that. Romans 13, 12, cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Romans 13, 14, very simply, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 53, put on the imperishable and the immortal body rather than the perishable and mortal body. Galatians 3, 27, be baptized into Christ and put on Christ. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 14, Ephesians 6, put on the belt of truth and breastplate of righteousness. Then 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, put on the breastplate of faith and love and the hope of salvation as our helmet. So taken together, you can see again, one of the things I'd like you to pick up today is that it's important to interpret the Bible with the Bible. Again, staying in God's word when you have questions about his word. You can see Bob nodding back there. Amen, brother. So taken together, we can see that putting on the new self is to put on Christ, to wear his righteousness, to wear his armor of light, to put on faith, love, and hope, and view the world with that in mind. So I'd like today to put on, or to view, three aspects. I'm not saying there's only three, but at least three uh, today. What does it look like to wear Christ? What three aspects are we referring to? Uh, before we crack into that, though, I want to talk about the armor of light. I love this section of scripture. So we look at Christ being the armor of light, putting on the armor of light in Romans 13, 12. It says, cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. And that word is the same word, the word light, used in John chapter 1, verse 5, where he says that the true light, Jesus, shines in the darkness. Moving forward to John 3, the light has come into the world. Jesus Christ has come into the world, and the men love the darkness more than they love the light. John 8, Jesus himself proclaims, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is that light. He is the armor of light. Now again, mentioned that faith, hope, and love are three aspects of putting on Christ, of wearing the new self. And we're going to look at how to increase those things. So how do we increase our faith? How do we confirm it? How do we strengthen it? Same thing with our our hope and our love. And again, increasing faith, I don't want you to take that as like a ploy. Here's how you have more faith. Um, there's a lot of negative things in the Christian community about increasing faith and what that can do for you. I'm not talking about the negative side of that and the things that might be unbiblical today. I'm talking about how you increase your real faith, all right? And the first way we do that is by first understanding the power of God. Look to Genesis 1. The God that saved you created the universe by the word of his power. The very beginning of the Bible, God is all-powerful. God created all. Go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 4, 11. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. 
Now move to the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. How about the power of God to raise Jesus Christ from the dead? Matthew 19, 26, Jesus explains that a rich person attached to the material is going to have a real hard time entering into heaven. The disciples rightly ask, well, who then can be saved? Jesus replies, well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, is that not true of each person here who has been raised from death to life? The power of God is what's responsible for your salvation. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6.14, God raised Jesus from the dead and will raise us by the same power. We can speak of that both presently. He raised you from death to life. In the last days, he will raise you from death to life for eternity, worshiping him. How about simply how the gospel spread from Jerusalem to you? Again, we strengthen and confirm our faith by understanding the power of God. So if you feel faithless, ask through prayer. Lord, I feel faithless. What do I do? Look to his word. What does it say? In Mark 9, the father of the demon-possessed boy believed. But like every believer, his belief was imperfect. So what did he do? He went directly to the source. He went to our Lord Jesus Christ and said, help my unbelief. If you feel faithless, ask the Lord Jesus to increase your faith. Increase your faith by understanding the full redemption story. God's plan to save you was purposed before eternity. Everything he said that would happen has happened, will happen, and I guess we could say is happening. Amen. Creation. The fall in Genesis 3, the covenant promise in Jeremiah, the prophet Ezekiel's great proclamation that God's people, that you would receive a new heart, a new spirit, that he would replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Moving on to Isaiah, his prophecy of the coming Messiah that would be pierced for our transgressions and would bear the iniquities of his people. All the way to the very moment that God opened your eyes to the truth that you were dead in your sin, apart from Christ, and you would spend eternity separated from him in eternal torment. He gave you the faith to believe and to repent of your sin, to turn to Jesus Christ, cry out to him to save you. And hallelujah, he did. You were washed. You were redeemed. And you were adopted by God the Father. That's the redemption story. Don't forget that that involves you. He has a plan to redeem mankind, but you are in that. He preserved a seed. He preserved a remnant, so one day you would hear the gospel, that I would hear the gospel and respond and be saved. Increase your faith by studying other religions. I learned this from Pastor Larry. Sounds strange at first, but there's nothing comparable to Christianity, nothing. Our God put on flesh to become the God-man Jesus Christ. He walked this earth. He lived, he died, he rose. 
We literally did nothing to earn that. Other religions, you have to earn it. You have to earn it, and they can't. I pray for their souls that they would turn to Christ. But think about this. Buddha, dead. Muhammad, dead. Confucius, dead. Jesus Christ, alive. Hallelujah. He rules and reigns today. And last, one of near and dear to my heart, being involved in the worship team here for years, on the worship team at the church we currently serve at, I remind them of this often, is increase your faith by looking around you to the walking miracles that were dead in their sin and are not anymore. That are alive to a new hope in Christ. Who were guilty and now are pardoned. Who were lost but now are found who were rebels and now are heirs of the promise, who were orphans and now are children of God, who were hopeless and hallelujah, now have an eternal living hope in Christ. Look around you, brothers and sisters. There's miracles everywhere. That's faith. That's how we can increase, strengthen, and confirm our faith. Now let's look at hope. To increase hope, strengthen hope, learn and meditate on the promises of God. Pray them silently. Pray them aloud. Sing them as we just did. Rejoice in them. The promise that those who trust God find new strength, Isaiah 40, 29. And Liz, the verse we shared when Pastor Larry was in the hospital. The promise that his grace is sufficient in all things. That his power is made perfect in our weakness. The promise that when we seek the Lord in poverty and spirit, he hears and delivers us, Psalm 34. The promise that when we sin, when we confess and repent, God is faithful and just to forgive us our trespasses and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. The promise that he will never leave us, Deuteronomy 31, Psalm 23. The promise that we will never perish but have eternal life, John 3, 16. The promise that for the believer, all things, all things work together for good as we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8. The promise that in Christ we have been set free from the power of sin and death, John 8, 36. The promise that God will provide for our needs according to his perfect will, Philippians 4. And the promise that all those promises are secure for the believer because God has Jesus in his hand and Jesus has you in his John 10, 28. God cannot lose one of his own. If he has called you, if he has redeemed you, if he has adopted you, you are secure, blessed assurance. Next, increase hope by understanding the preeminence of Jesus. This should give us an unfailing hope. He is sovereign, he is king, and he rules and reigns over all. Colossians 1, if you turn your Bibles there, please. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. The first chapter of Colossians, verses 15 through 23. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible 
and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Preeminent is our Savior. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28. He has been given the name above all names, Lord, that every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. He is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subjected to him, 1 Peter 3.22. Uh, I'd like to share with you just a quick thing. Um, Julie and I take walks in our subdivision pretty frequently, and... Uh, it's nice being married to such a godly woman who loves the Lord that our talks often head to scripture, which is cool. Not every time, uh, but many times we have fruitful discussions. And we were talking about Psalm 16 one day. Psalm 16, many of you know, says, At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. And what a sweet, sweet verse that is. I never caught on to it. I don't know why. So, again unqualified, I guess, right, from a biblical standpoint, but where is Jesus? He's at God's right hand. Pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God where our king is seated this very day, interceding for you. Connecting those dots was like one of those just great moments for me where I'd fall in love with the word of God all the more. And again, something Pastor Larry taught me that the entire Bible points to Christ. He is present on every page. So this is your Savior, your King. He rules and reigns and has you in his hand. And one of my dear brothers uh, that I often play music with or we've recorded things in the past together, he used to attend the uh, New Haven he would pray before our worship gatherings, and I just loved this. He would say, helping us to affirm the sovereignty of Christ, that nothing has ever come to pass in the believer's life that has not first passed through the sovereign hand of God. And man, I find great hope in that. And especially now with some of the very uh, real situations that we're dealing with, um, we see this to be true. And hopefully Pastor Larry, uh, I, I believe he... He'd be okay with this. He texted me yesterday, and something that he said was, as I lay here learning how to decrease, so he, Jesus, increases. Praise God, brother, I see you. Praise God for that. COVID puts Pastor Larry in the hospital, and God uses it to sanctify him. That's sovereignty, brothers and sisters. That's amazing. So we looked at hope, let's look at love. This is where we connect these a little bit. You'll see that they start to be intertwined as our faith increases, as our hope increases, so appropriately does our love. But the more we know God, the more we grow to love him. The more we grow to love God, the more 
we love others, and might I say this, especially the household of faith. We should be motivated to increase our love because that's how the world will know that we belong to God. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We should be motivated to increase our love because it's a great witness. Matthew 5, 16. Shine your light before others so they see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your good works give glory to our God. Next, while we can't model the divinity of Christ, that alone belongs to him, he alone is God, we can to some degree model his humanity. And uh, in this case, it's not, it's not helpful to us. I picked on Jason, I don't see him, but I picked on Jason at Bristol Road. It's not helpful to us to compare our behavior, our conduct to another brother or sister in Christ. That's a very, I'm sorry to say, it's the truth, but it's a very low bar, right? Uh, we look to Matthew 5, to the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus amplifies the law. So we should be shooting for that, knowing that the purpose of our life is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. So why would we shoot for anything less? So, in the context of love, we can ask ourselves, do we love as Jesus loves? He came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. So our love should seek to serve and to pour into others. He has a heart for the lost. Luke 19, 10. Our lives should be wrung out to proclaim the gospel to all creation. God is making his appeal through us, as we see in 2 Corinthians 5. He makes his appeal to us and through us that others will be reconciled to him. For whatever reason, God has entrusted the gospel message to go forth through his imperfect people. We have a duty to proclaim the gospel. To love people means to tell them if they do not believe and to tell them if they do believe to encourage them in their faith that you were once dead or if you're not a believer here today, that you are dead in your sin. The wrath of God abides on you. Apart from Christ, you have no hope in the world. But glory to God and hallelujah that he came to rescue us. That any person who calls on the name of the Lord, confesses their sin and repents, turns to Jesus in saving faith, the promise of God is that he will save them. He will justify them, sanctify them, and glorify them. That is a hard truth, but it is the truth that we have, and it's the one that matters. To love others is to not leave them dead in their sin, but to tell them where the hope lies. Jesus Christ made his people his joy. I love that. The reason why there's joy in the house of the Lord is because Christ lives in you. So if Christ lives in you and he made his people his joy, then I make Elizabeth my joy. Christ lives in me, he lives in you. Right? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He made his people his joy. That's why there's joy in the house of the Lord. He did that by submitting to the Father's plan for redemption, by going to the cross for the joy 
that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. When we fully submit to God, it increases our capacity for and our ability to love the bride of Christ, the church. He also looked to the interest of others. He humbled himself and emptied himself for God's plan, Philippians 2. So we'll transition really quick. We looked, putting on the armor of light, increasing faith, confirming and strengthening our hope. Same with love. One side note you'll notice is this idea of having a sober mind. So putting on the new self, putting on Christ, involves the believer having a sober mind, which is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. But since we belong to the day, and you'll see the word day there is the same word that's used for light. So since we belong to the light, if the light is Christ, we belong to Christ, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I joked at Bristol Road, you have to throw um, the phrase in the Greek if you're preaching in Pastor Larry's place. So the word sober is actually the Greek word nepho. Here, that means calm and collected. So I hope I get some points for, from him for that. This state of mind, that sober state of mind, is mentioned eight other times in the New Testament, so we can't just disregard it. In fact, 1 Peter 4, 7 mentions to be sober-minded even for the sake of your prayers. Being sober-minded, if you're looking for a practical place, again, using the Bible to interpret the Bible, staying in God's word when you have questions about God's word. How do I be sober-minded? Galatians 5 has the answer. Galatians 5, another large section here we're going to read together, verses 16 through 26. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to pause there for a sec. Uh, that's a, a striking sentence. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Understand that the word do there, again, um, looking deeper into the meaning of these things, mean to be busy with. This is what I do. I'm known by these things, okay? So as a believer, again, you rest on the promise of 1 John 1, 9, that if you get caught up in one of these things, you turn to Christ in confession and repentance and his promise is that he will forgive you. He will justly cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Continuing on, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
That's what it means to be sober-minded. So my exhortation to you as God's people today is to seek the Lord first. Read and study his word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Will pierce your heart. Will convict you of your sin. And will turn you to the only hope there is. Sit under faithful preaching. So thankful for that. So thankful for the years that I spent here. Pastor Larry, again, like Andy, Andy told me many years ago, made me open my Bible. I'll never, ever forget the day that the Lord crushed me back there. Just wrecked me of everything I was and everything that I did. And then opened my eyes to the beauty of Christ. And that would not have happened without the faithful preaching of a servant like Larry. How will they hear if it's not preached? Repent, confess, worship. Participate in the sacraments, communion. If you're a believer, you have to take communion. To remember Christ, his shed blood, his broken body. Be of sober mind. In essence, brothers and sisters, strive to put on the new self. To put on faith. To increase your hope. To love people. To walk in a manner worthy of your calling, as we read in Ephesians. So that's the means. That's what we do. We have to try. We have to strive. A very, very popular verse is in Philippians. talks about... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have to strive. But the very, very next part of that verse says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So salvation, let's look at salvation. Salvation is an act of God. It's a, theologians call it monergistic. It was all him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Saved by grace through faith. Christ is our boast. But sanctification, being conformed to the image of Christ, is a promise that God makes us will happen, but it's not without our effort. So strive. That's what we do. That's the means. What's the end? The promise of God is that he will provide the increase for your efforts. God will bring dead sinners to life as the gospel is proclaimed. God will transform and renew your mind as you study and read his word. He will deliver you from sin as you strive to mortify the desires of the flesh. He will provide for his people. And Jesus Christ will one day present his bride, the church, you, me, to God the Father without spot and without blemish. His promise to you, brother or sister, is that your striving will not be in vain. By his power, he will sustain you until that day he returns to judge both the living and the dead, where we will see glory to God, the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ, where we, only because the saving work of our Lord will worship and exalt him forever in the heavens.
Or as we read in closing, Revelation 22, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to pray. We have a final song that I absolutely adore. I cannot wait to sing this with you guys. Pray with me. Oh, Father God, thank you so much for this time together to read your word, to worship you, to be washed over by your truth. And again, Lord, I pray that today you were glorified, that as we sing, we remember the goodness of God. We remember that in life and in death that Christ is our hope. It's in his name we pray, amen. And as the ushers will come forward, we're gonna sing this song. And there's so much meat in this song. So we want to share it with y'all. And as soon as y'all catch on to it, please sing loudly with us. Go ahead, ushers. Y'all see to it. Christ alone. 